But this is a, a network built on community. Everyone investing either for the sake of the project or investing for the construction along their road. It brings people together. Hello and welcome to episode 177 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. In this episode, Chris talks with Carol Monroe, General Manager of the East Central Vermont Community Fiber Network, a community-owned network in Vermont. EC Fiber's financing model is different than many of the networks we cover because it relied on individual investment to get the project off the ground. Carol describes how EC Fiber has experienced steady growth over the past several years and how in an area of the state where residents and businesses typically rely on DSL and satellite, fiber to the premise has spurred a number of benefits. EC Fiber also has a new designation as a utility district. Carol addresses how this will affect EC Fiber's operation. Now here's Chris's interview with Carol Monroe, General Manager of EC Fiber. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Carol Monroe, the General Manager of EC Fiber in Vermont. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be on. It's great to talk to you again. Uh, we spoke with you about uh, two years ago, maybe two and a half. Um, I was looking back in my notes. It was episode 36, and you were with uh, Fast Roads in New Hampshire. Uh, so welcome to Vermont, and uh, welcome back. It's great to be here. It's great to be here in Vermont. We're going to be talking about uh, this thing, EC Fiber, and and I think um, you know people who have been longtime listeners may have heard it all the way back in episode nine uh, when I talked with Leslie Nolte. That was um, three years ago or more. Um, but I'm hoping that you can just remind us what EC Fiber is. Well, EC Fiber is the East Central Vermont Community Fiber Optic Network. It's a community-owned network, and it's subscriber-financed. Um, and and its mission is to uh, bring fiber to the premise to um, uh, 24 towns in the central area of Vermont. And we're going to talk about that um, the financing model later on in the show. Um, but for now, you know, for how long has it been going on, and, and how great is its reach? Well, it started in 2008 um, as a concept, and um, and through different. Uh, challenges, including the downturn in the economy, among others. Um, it really didn't get off the ground until 2011. Um, and so since 2011, it's been moving forward every every year, and it's a, it's been a great uh, asset to this area. And you've really been building up steam. Is that, I was looking back at our coverage, and it was, um, you know, some of the headlines that we posted up was um, EC Fiber passes 600th customer, or connects 600th customer, and then um, pass, uh, connects the 1,000th customer. And you were telling me just uh, a minute ago that you're well on your way to 1,200 now. So congratulations. It's great, and we, you know, we certainly want it to be even more than that. There's a number of customers unserved, and that's that's really hard for them. Well, and I think it seems like your growth is definitely picking up, which um, we would expect from this model. It's kind of a model that's hard to get started, but then should, like a snowball heading down a hill, should be picking up some pretty good mass as it rolls. Um, let me ask you, first of all, what's the situation there in East Central Vermont? Um, what kind of services do you offer, and what do people have as options if you weren't there? Well, what we offer is um, a 
certainly fiber to the premise. It's a GPON technology and it's a symmetrical service. And so we do have a very basic package at, at seven megabits, um, but uh, most take the standard package, um, which is 20. And then of course we go all the way up to uh, 400 megabits um, symmetrical. We could offer a gig, we just haven't had any call for it. And for people who are waiting to get connected, what are the kind of options that they'll typically have in some of the towns that are on your list, but you just haven't gotten to yet? It's very difficult. And so they do have the option of DSL. Most are far from the central office of a DSL uh, or a DSLAM. And so often the the, the speed is uh, poor at best. Um, there aren't many that get the 15 megabit speed uh, that can, that you can get from DSL. Um, so there is some of that. There are certainly individual homes that still have satellite uh, as their op only option. And um, if you're close to a cell tower, which frankly they're far and few between, but if you were, you could use your cell phone as an access point. Um, and that's true for even uh, Vermont uh, had actually put up um, some uh, cellular types of wireless as part of their projects and um, if you're close to those too you might be able to get some service but to be honest with the mountains in Vermont that that wireless is very difficult um, for cellular as well as for um, any other kind of access. Well and you of course have to deal with the bandwidth caps even if you do have that access in a lot of cases so yeah. it's one of those things you certainly wouldn't want to rely on that for your kids having to do homework every day of the week. And that's true. I mean, so for every uh, one hour of high definition download, it's you're using up a gig of your data. That's <laughs> a good reminder of um, how important it is to have this robust wired connections. And it seems like the state of Vermont has been helping you out. I, I know years back I was concerned that Vermont um, seemed to be doing a little bit more to help incumbents, but in, in late they've really been investing in ways that you've been able to take advantage of. Can you tell me about that? A couple of years ago, they started by building a dark fiber route about 30 miles through um, some of our towns, three or four of our towns. Um, and it's unusual because it's not just middle mile fiber. They actually have put fiber access points for every premise along that route for for those customers to, to connect to EC Fiber. And they're rolling out another 80 miles of route that will be um, lit uh, my guess is early next year, um, and the fiber is on the poles already, so there's just work to do to, to light it up. It's about another 1,000 customers that will have access, um, and there will be access points for those along the way. Um, so that's been great. They also um, have these connectivity initiatives, which you know sort of target these uh, places, homes, or census blocks that are hard to reach, underserved, and then they're... Um, they're incenting the carriers to uh, to serve those, and so EC Fiber has some of those blocks that we'll be um, rolling out at the beginning of next year as well. So uh, it's it's funny you see you know you see fiber here on the poles through the fields up to a person's home a mile up a dirt road and another half a mile dirt driveway. It's a great opportunity for Vermont. Well, let's talk about that because I think um, people know that Vermont is rural, but I, they may not have a sense of how that changes how one might build a network. When you say the state is not just doing the middle mile, but they're actually adding the last mile drops, can you tell me what that means and why it's important? Well, it's important because often the, the cost to get to a, a 
premise or to a you know to a homeowner is a very high cost when you're looking at uh, dr- long driveways and and very rural sparsely populated areas so when they put a fiber access point you know on the pole ready for that customer that cuts down on the cost to get to that customer and and i think that's been working for us um it doesn't even count the the spur roads there are a number of these that are dead end roads off of these routes that then make it easier for us to build out to those locations as well if the state wasn't doing that kind of the last mile facilitation for you um is it am i thinking of this correctly in that if they just put a bunch of dark fiber and they just sort of would allow you to have access to it every 5 miles or something like that where you could splice into it um then you'd have to basically run a lot of the fiber back along the path that had already been built to then run it up a driveway. Am I conceptualizing that right? Nope, that's exactly right. And um, and we'd have to put in probably more uh, hub-type locations um, along the route, and this this really helps us to to deliver to the to the homeowner much faster without running a lot more fiber and backtracking or or going forward and overlashing. And this fiber, is it available to just uh, any entity that would like to use it as well? Yes, it is. It's, a, it's open access. And so some of the other carriers have, are using it to get to point A to point B, which you would normally do on a middle mile network. Um, there are not too many who are interested in dropping fiber to the premise off of this, uh, these routes, but EC Fiber is the primary carrier for that purpose. And I guess one of the things that we should have covered, and I think the one of the key issues is that um, you have a real community focus, uh, and um, we're going to be talking about how that's structured exactly. Um, but you're you're a community network, um, a combination of multiple towns working together. Um, let's talk about the impact. What has the impact been of the network? Uh, how's it helped the community out? It is a, it's a rural area, but what we're really talking about is people who have home businesses and um, whether they're uh, agricultural in nature or some, or some other type of business. Um, so it has encouraged them to participate in a, in a much broader uh, market than they would normally have been able to and to get supplies um, in a much more efficient way. Um, so th- those farms are happy to have these connections or those small businesses that work from a home environment. Um, in addition to that, we provide 400 megabit symmetrical service to our schools. Um, and those um, schools are uh, moving forward at trying to how to incorporate that into their lessons at the schools. But because we're getting in more and more into the community, they can actually send some work home uh, for those students that are, are fully connected. And, and so that changes the educational model as well to some extent. This is about small businesses. And so we're the small business carrier of choice um, because it's we have products that they appreciate and they can use at a price point they can pay. One of the things that I think has not changed very much since the last time you were on our show is that I think a lot of people that, that aren't from rural areas will often think, well, these are people that don't really understand how to use computers and they need these the trainings and things like that. Uh, I'm curious, what's your experience been with adoption where you do have the service available? Um, it's a mix. Um, there are certainly some individuals who are, are concerned about or don't know what they would do with it. Um, but for the most part, uh, this is a very educated uh, community. 
in these rural areas, and they're familiar with what's needed to um, for their communities to grow and to be and and to be able to sustain their their standard of living. And so, um, we meet sometimes with these communities in these small grange halls, and those halls are full of people who certainly know that they need to have some sort of uh, broad access to the outside world. Well, I, I remember the enthusiasm with which uh, some of the town meeting votes were conducted. <laughs> there was mm-hmm. not a lot of opposition when people were talking about this approach. There isn't. And this is also uh, an area of a lot of second homes. Um, so those um, individuals that come up for the winter to ski or for the summer, um, they can stay longer and stay more, you know, stay throughout the season um, because now they can work from those second homes. One of the things that I think demonstrates the tremendous support for your network is the fact that people have actually invested in it. Uh, You wouldn't be the general manager of EC Fiber without the support of so many people within the community. Uh, Can you tell us how the network was funded when it was getting started? And we've already touched on the state grants, but uh, how's the rest of the money been raised? Well, the state grants are fairly recent, and so the the money has been raised by individual investors in EC Fiber, anywhere from $2,500 to uh, $800,000. Um, individuals have invested in this network, and so there are f- over 450 investors, many at the lower level. Um, this is truly an investment. They have a return on their inv- investment at, at about 5 or 6%, depending upon when they bought in. Um, EC Fiber has raised over $7 million in that way, and that's what built the network. So it wasn't until the network was viable, moving forward, and active, you know, that the state grants came along. And um, and that's great, and certainly we appreciate it, and it helps to move it forward faster. Um, but this is a, a network built on community, everyone investing either for the sake of the project in general or investing um, for the construction along their road, it brings people together. And, it, you know, there are 24 towns in this um, this interlocal contract is what it's set up as currently. Um, and they all want it to be across all towns. By the, the beginning of next year, we'll be in at least 20 of the 24 towns and have some presence um, and we'd like to be able to to uh, determine how to build it out faster, and I think we're moving in that direction. Um, when you say that the money was raised by the outside, um, I, I guess I think of it as both outside and inside investors to some extent, given um, mm-hmm. some of the, the people. Um, you've actually had, I think, people in that lived close to each other organizing together to raise the money to make sure that you'd be able to get down their street, right? That's correct. So they'll they'll um, pull together. We'll price out a project for them, and they will get their neighbors together and try and find the investment dollars to make that happen. It costs about thirty thousand dollars a mile to build, including six drop. That's been consistent uh, for the last several years, and so it's not unusual for for a an area or a street to be able to find within their own. Uh, residences or businesses, the ability to do that. And you noted that that it's long been an interlocal contract, uh, which means mm-hmm. I think all the, the the towns are basically working together as a single entity that um, preserves the same legal rights as being a town. But that's about to change in another six or seven weeks. Uh, what's going on? 
Well, the state of Vermont um, voted last year to allow for, they call them communication utility districts or municipal utility districts. And so the organization of this will be reformed into a utility district. Now, in, in all those cases, the towns do not, by the way, provide any financing for this network. That is not their responsibility to do that, um, and they're prohibited from doing that. So um, they will reap the benefits once the network is 100% built out, then any excess revenues will go back to the towns. But they do facilitate our path, so to speak, um, where they can, working with property owners for easements and so on and so forth, um, where we have to put in poles or conduit. And, um, and I think that helps, but they're very engaged in EC Fiber. Um, there are two delegates, one voting, one alternate from every town. They meet monthly. It's a, it's a group that's very cohesive, and it helps to set the direction of the network. And can you tell me the, the main difference in terms of what a telecommunications district will allow EC Fiber to do that it would not be able to do under the interlocal contract? There really isn't very much difference, but, but I can say that in the municipal um, investment markets, they're much more familiar with a municipal utility district, whether it's a water district or a sewer district or um, something along those lines. And so that a municipal utility district is a, a common language for them. Interlocal contracts, not so much. <laughs> okay. Um, and so it, it just really sort of puts a structure around this organization that's much more familiar to the outside world. That makes sense. I think a lot of times investors are maybe suspicious if they just run across terms they're not comfortable with, so you want to use their language. Right, that's true, and that's where we want to go. So you, you came over um, six months ago from Fast Roads. Uh, can you just give us a little update on what's been happening uh, with the Fast Roads network? New Hampshire Fast Roads is still um, up and running, and they're connecting customers uh, every day. Um, it's been a slow process for them. Um, Monadnock Economic Development Corporation is running New Hampshire Fast Roads um, and um, has you know, a, a group of contractors who are assisting with that uh, effort in terms of um, doing the drops and so on and so forth and doing the builds where we're connecting to new customers there. There are some towns along the route who are looking for ways in which they can bring fiber throughout their town. And um, in New Hampshire, that's a little difficult without municipal bonding. But there's a new, um, a new model in New Hampshire called special assessment districts that may allow them to move that forward in some way. So there are some towns up by the Hanover region who are looking to do that, and they will connect into the New Hampshire Fast Roads District. Oh, terrific. So it's going to stimulate some growth. Yeah, that's good. It, it, sometimes it's so important just to get it started. And it might take a few years and you might be sitting there thinking, you know, like uh, we're not getting everything done. But once you have something like fast roads or EC fiber moving forward, um, you know, even modestly, then you have the ability to take advantage of these things like when the state of Vermont um, makes uh, some dark fiber available or when there might be, um, you know, this uh, opportunity to fund things a little differently in New Hampshire. Um, without having fast roads there already, I don't think they would necessarily have the same opportunities to use uh, that special uh, assessment district to move forward. Well, I think that there's a model that's been proven, and so they can they take advantage of that. But there's also a great deal of middle mile fiber that's accessible that didn't used to be. And, um, and it's not so unusual, as you know now, to talk about fiber to the premise. 
Right. Absolutely. I, I just, I, you know, it's one of those things that I think about a lot because sometimes people think, well, we can't do something really grand. We're not going to do anything at all. And, you know, these incremental efforts over time and time passes much more quickly than you realize. They really they really give you opportunities you would not have if you don't just get something started. And that's true. So you and I have been following this for quite some time now. And, and I follow you, your programs and your podcasts and it's incredible the energy and the and the growth um, to a fiber to the premise projects across this country. I don't know that we can say it was the stimulus packages. I'm not sure it was Google Fiber, um, but it's all of that coming together to make it feasible and to seem feasible, so people, uh, you know, understanding can get a grasp as to what that can do. Yes, I absolutely agree. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, updating us on uh, the EC Fiber Network and I think reminding people that there are some different models for community broadband. It doesn't all have to come out of municipal borrowing. It's true. It's um, not happening here right now. It's all, it, all individual investment. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. That was Carol Monroe, General Manager of EC Fiber Network in Vermont, visiting with Chris. We've covered the network since 2009, so take a look at our stories at muninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at CommunityNets. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. We want to thank Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening. This was episode 177 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>